time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. What do you do when everything that you thought was important suddenly goes up in smoke? What do you, what do you do? How do you adjust your life? What do you go in and make sure you hang on to? Well, that was a question that suddenly faced my guest, Denise Gosnell. She was in the midst of living life full steam ahead. She had run several businesses, was a successful attorney, had made a lot of accomplishments, and yet everything she owned went up in smoke. And what is the one thing that she wanted to save? What is that one thing that they said they could take out of her house? Well, she'll tell us about that today as she tells us her story of how she thought she was going to beat her life by achievement, how she was going to get everywhere she wanted to get to, how she was going to escape her past by building business after business and running herself into the ground until one day she had to make a little bit of an assessment, a bit of a switch. It's what she calls the vacation effect. Now, that doesn't mean that you're on some beach far away. It might, but it might be how you think about your life, that there may be a way of having a vacation mentality that changes how you approach life and gives possibilities where you haven't seen it before. So now join me as I discuss the vacation effect with Denise Gosnell. So many times our busyness is just that. So even if you're in business, you end up being so busy that life passes you by and you might not be making the best use of your time. So today I'm pretty excited to talk with Denise Gosnell. We met at a conference where we were sitting side by side talking about lots of this, how do you run a business and also a little legal things there. So um, this is going to be a great enriching conversation. Denise, tell us a little bit about how you got here. First, thanks for being here. But second, tell us a little bit about how you got to this place. Thank you for having me, Lee. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, as a child, I was teased for being poor. And um, it's like I realized that that made me driven to all I ever wanted was to be a millionaire where no one would ever tease me again. And in the process of that, I developed this habit of like outworking the next guy. It's like, I'll show them, you know, I'm, I got I to gotta be top of my class, graduated valedictorian, you know, went to undergrad, got my computer science business degree in two and a half years while working a full-time job in the process, you know, then went to law school and then, you know, like uh, be, became a millionaire in my thirties. And it's like, that's all I ever cared about. It's like, oh, I've arrived. And it's like, but I was not happy because I had become so conditioned to working all the time that life was passing me by. And it was interestingly because, you know, I'm a happy person by nature. So it's like I was never depressed or unhappy per se, but there was just that nagging thought that, man, I'm working all the time and I keep saying no to these family this or whatever. And it it just felt like something was missing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, so basically I got, I got, got to the point where I had a law firm, I had a, an information publishing company at the time and my real estate company, I still have three companies. It's just one of them's different. So, and I was just working all the time to make money because it's like, I got to keep making the money. At that point, I didn't care what other people thought. It had shifted from, it just became an addictive habit. Mm-hmm. You know, working 80 hours a week was just what you did. You know, I thought you had to pick time or money. You had to pick freedom of time or you had to pick money, but that you couldn't have both. Mm-hmm. And it, sadly, it, it took a, a lightning bolt from God um, setting my house on fire to make me realize that I was living my life totally wrong. 
literally burning down the house. <laughs> yeah, like it destroyed with it was destroyed by fire and water. Didn't burn totally to the ground, but it was destroyed. So wow, wow. Was, so what did that reset for you? Yeah, so it reset. Um, it was actually an interesting thing. Um, the fireman who knocked at our door, we didn't know we were on fire, but he knocked and asked us. You know, after we realized we were on fire, he said what do you want us to go retrieve in the next five minutes before your house is destroyed by fire and water? And I was like, okay. And so I, how, how I answered him was what was a reset for me because the, I, I asked for three things for them to go grab for me if I was never going to be able to go into that house again. And it was my, my daughter's stuffed animal bunny. She was five at the time. You know, you, you know how kids are with their stuffed animals. It's like the family member. You got to get bunny. <laughs> and so I asked for my wedding photos from 25 years ago. I didn't have them digitally. We didn't have digital cameras back then. Right. Yeah. So my wedding photos and my grandmother's blanket that she made me as a child. And wow. well, what do all three of those have in common? It's the people that mean the most to me in my life. It's the people, not the things. The comfort. It, yeah, the, 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 the value of the people in my life and the love that I have for them. Mm-hmm. That's what I had them retrieve, not the artwork from Italy on the wall, not the jewelry in the jewelry cabinet, all the stuff I was working my, my tail off to pay for. <laughs> and it's like, what, what's the point of all this? So long story short, I was at my neighbor's garage watching the house burn and replaying how I answered that going, is this how I want to live my life? Working all the time to pay for a house with a bunch of stuff that I didn't even care about when it was burning. Wow. That was a big reset for me. Have you heard the story of Thomas Edison when he was looking at his laboratory burning? No, I haven't. Yeah, he he looks at that and all all of his stuff, you know, all of his inventions and everything is up in flames. And he looked at it for a minute and he turned to somebody and said, hey, go get the neighbors. They've never seen a fire like this and they never will again. And the next day, he walked through and said, okay, fresh start. Let's start from ground zero. Everything's gone. Let's start all over. And it's the same thing that happened for you metaphorically. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you had to do a reset. So what did that reset lead to? I mean, here you are. At that point, many people would say, okay, man, now I've really got to earn money. I've got to rebuild this. But mm-hmm. that, there was a shift for you that led to what? Yeah, so that day, I vowed that I was going to figure out how to have both and, both freedom and money. It's like I was trying to reconcile the two. Like I wanted money, like enough money to be comfortable where my family and I could travel and have nice things. But like at some point enough is enough. Like, so I wanted to have enough money to have a great life, but also plenty of free time to where I would never miss, you know, something important again. Like I was always physically there, but I wasn't mentally there, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like my Mm -hmm. brain was always somewhere else working on the next thing or thinking about my to-do list. So like I decided I wanted both that day. So, but I didn't have the answers yet. I just started making changes and um, I stopped doing the work that I hated, even though it paid really well. I used to be a patent lawyer and turns out I don't love patents. I mean, I'm glad I did it, but I'm glad I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> so I said that was the first step. And then I had to start doing other kinds of work that I liked. And it was scary because I had to reinvent my income. Like I was making, you know, high six figures in that company, not counting the other two companies. And it's like, when you say no, when you turn something off, it's scary because it's like, now I got to figure out where to get that money from somewhere else. And then um, basically I just went down a path of also trying to figure out, okay, I solved the doing what I love thing and then spending more free time, but I hadn't figured out how to have both. So it was an interesting, there was a pivot point for me where I'd always dreamed of having what I call a Tuesday, Thursday schedule where I could just take Tuesdays and Thursdays to do whatever makes me happy. 
and I call them my freedom days now. Um, I'd always wanted a Tuesday, Thursday schedule. I didn't have to do anything unless I wanted to. Like, what do I want to do today that'll make me happy? That's what I dreamed of. Someday I'll do that. You know, that someday maybe stuff. We all say, someday maybe I'll get around to this. Someday maybe when I have more time, I'll travel more. Someday maybe when I have more money, I'll buy that thing for so-and-so, whatever. But yet, when is someday ever going to happen if not now? So at this, I, I went to a meditation retreat that we were supposed to ask a question. And the question that I asked was, what... Um, how can I have the Tuesday, Thursday schedule I've always wanted? And it's like it was whispered in my ear. The answer I got, Lee, was, what are you waiting for? All you have to do is make today what you want tomorrow to be. Mm. I thought that was really powerful. It's like my higher self or God or whoever telling me that. It's like, all you have to do is make today what you want tomorrow to be. So, but you know me, I'm this workaholic at that time. I can't just take Tuesdays and Thursdays for the rest of my life. My world will fall apart. That's Mm. what I thought. But I'm like, you know what? I'm willing to at least do a little experiment. Well, this was a huge lesson for me that I hope your listeners will benefit from. Um, and that is exper- be, be, be willing to do an experiment. You don't have to commit to something for the rest of your life that scares you. Just commit to doing a little experiment that you're comfortable with. So for me, the experiment was, what if I just do a 30-day experiment having the schedule I've always wanted and just see what happens? You know, I'm my own boss, so I could do that. Not everybody, you know, can do that if they work for someone else. But in my case, I was, my, I was the boss. So I could say, okay, I'm just going to take those eight business days. I'm going to carve them out as freedom days, and I'm going to see what happens. And so, you know, that's where, you know, a lot of inefficiencies rose to the top. And I had to learn to start saying no and delegating more. And it was painful at firstly. But I, over that 30 days, I like really figured out where I was wasting so much time and how I could move things around and be better. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here imagining you, you um, walking up to a boss and going, hey, by the way, <laughs> next yeah, exactly. 30 days, I'm doing a little experiment. <laughs> yeah, but there are ways that they, even, you know, somebody that's an employee for someone else, they, they can still do experiments that are, get them closer to what they've always wanted and do it in a way that is comf- that you know, that they could really do. So yeah. in that, in that example, when I used to, when I used to have a job for someone else, when I was an engineer in law school. I actually did that. Um, I've always been an experimenter. I went to the boss and I negotiated working four days a week so that I could have one day at law school where I didn't have to be at work. I negotiated that. And I was a kick-ass employee and they let me do that. Like I'd earned that right and, and I negotiated it as an important part. And I still pulled my own. If you can show the boss that you're better than the other guy in, in spite of all these, these extra things you're asking for, like give them an experiment. Like, hey boss, if I can do X, Y, and Z, Will you let me do this? And if you can meet that, why would they say no? Yeah. Like if well, I can, you know what I mean? If you, if I can get this result for you and I can also get this benefit, why not? It's the gas law. You know, I mean, whatever space you're going to allow something. So if you say, okay, I've got five days in a week to do this work week, you're going to do five days. But if you say, mm-hmm. I'm going to do all that in four days, you start getting pretty efficient at what you're doing. Exactly. You magically figure out how to get it done in, in that reduced amount of time and probably better than what you would have done had you drug it out. So what, my mentor is uh, the person who coined the term workaholic years ago. Oh, really? Because he was a workaholic and he figured that out. And his thing was that he was addicted to people thinking, wow, look at that hard worker. You know, he kind of gained an identity. So it wasn't for him about the money but about the identity of the hard worker. Um, and, and what he said is, you know, when you're doing that, you're often filling it with stuff that really doesn't, really doesn't matter just to stay busy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's like, heaven forbid we be alone with our own thoughts. Yeah. You know, like so many people are afraid to have space in their, in their thoughts to where they can really just be like, wow, just be. What does it mean to just be and to not be busy all the time? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's a great analogy. I love his analogy on that. Yeah, so let's talk some about how you made it. Because basically, you, you went from a grind mentality. It's just keep grinding it out. And if I put at it, if I push hard enough, I'm going to get there. And, and in your case, you did. I mean, there are plenty of people who would say as a child, yeah, I'm going to be a millionaire. And they might grind, but they never get there. So there was, a, there was also a piece of mindset for you that was really about achievement in ways that, that, that got you there. But then there was a place where you made a pivot. So Talk some about maybe some mindset pieces that were about accomplishment that you did hold on to and then the pieces you had to let go of. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because it's kind of hard to reconcile sometimes this grind, grind, grind mentality um, and hard work with being able to do both. Because like me, I'm a hard worker still, Mm -hmm. even with my reduced schedule, but I'm like hyper focused. And there are times when I might shift my schedule around like this month I'm launching a new podcast and I'm launching a new book and I've got a bunch of new things happening and I'm traveling, um, you know, for, for fun. So it's like, I might, I've already got a lot of vacation time scheduled at the end of the month for two weeks. So I might not be taking all of my freedom days at the beginning of the month, you know, like I normally do, but I'm working hard and I'm playing hard. But the key is I just had to give myself permission to put my life first and to run my business around it instead of the other way around. Mm. I used to put my business first and I'd squeeze my life in my personal preferences around it instead of the other way around. And after my fire, I just decided to make that change. And I thought my world was going to fall apart, Lee, but it didn't. Like, you know how if you've got spots on your calendar um, that, you know, I don't know if you've ever been guilty of this. Most people have, but I used to have time blocked out for myself that I'd visit, go visit my mom or that I was going to go to the spa or whatever. And then I'd have a client be like, can you chat on that day? And I'd, I used to say yes. Instead mm-hmm. of saying, no, I have a conflict. How about the other? How about Wednesday? Mm-hmm. Like, what is, what's wrong with us? Like not defending our personal carve out time. Like we do if we already had another client meeting there. We, we, most people don't do that. I didn't do that. But it's like, I, I now take ownership of my personal, the personal time I have blocked out on my calendar, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're an employee, whatever personal time you put on your calendar, it is yours. It is just like an appointment with anybody else. You're meeting with your most important client. Yourself. Yeah, it's interesting. I just had this yeah. conversation with a therapist who mm-hmm. uh, was like, you know, I always end up saying to a client, oh, no, I'm going to be out of town or I'm taking that day off. And I said, why do you say that? I mean, they don't have a right to that. Mm -hmm. To say I'm busy, I'm already full is enough. Um, Obviously, you got to make sure that you can cover the bases and and that that person is getting good care. But at some point, you don't have to justify the fact that you're taking care of yourself. Yeah, I don't owe them an explanation. I just offer a different date. And see, here's the key thing I recognize is that I used to feel guilty about it or feel like they would judge me if they knew what I was doing or whatever. But most people don't care. They just want to know when's a mutually beneficial time you both can chat. Mm-hmm. They don't care what your reason is. So it's like all this guilt we have around other people's judgments, it usually doesn't even exist. Like and and if, yeah. if it matters, you know, if they care yeah. that much, you've got to question <laughs> that's a right. really healthy relationship anyway. Exactly. <laughs> it's like maybe they're not the right kind of client to have, mm-hmm. like the one in 10 that might be like that. Maybe they're not the best client for you or a vendor or whoever anyway. So yeah, yeah and, th- and I basically had to free myself from the judgments of others or what I thought were the judgments of others. Most of the time wasn't even real. 
and then just take ownership of it. But, you know, in the trenches, there's also more you have to do in order to make it happen. Like, you know, so let's say you put your own life at the center, your, you know, your own personal needs at the center of your life and you've planned your career and your business around it. There's still more you have to do to make it work so that shit doesn't fall apart, you know, mm -hmm. so that so that your life still um, stays intact. And for me, that ended up being optimizing the other areas of my life so that I was productive. You know, you're talking about Parkinson's law earlier, where if you give yourself five days to do something, it takes five days. But if you only give yourself a day, you'll figure out magically how to get it done. Mm -hmm. It's like learning to run your life like that, that you, you're hyper effective in the time that you're spending instead of spinning your wheels. Mm -hmm. And then for entrepreneurs, there's even more you can do, like being better at your delegating and having standard operating procedures and, you know, making sure you're automating your business correctly and that you are optimizing your revenue. There's a lot more entrepreneurs can do to fine tune that as well. But, you know, people that work for somebody else, they can take advantage of it by just having the mindset and then optimizing so that they're super productive at, at work you know, in the time that they spend where they outpace the other guy in half the time, you're going to be able to write your own ticket with your employers. And if not, go to the competitor who will be happy to pay you that for the results you're going to produce. Okay. So you just create, you t talked about a mindset there, the mindset of optimizing, getting it done, not just letting it linger. Um, I've seen the studies about how much time is wasted at work. So we, mm -hmm. we know there's a plethora of vacuum there that gets filled with something. So there's a mindset piece of optimizing. What are some maybe tactics or techniques that somebody could use wherever they are in work to, to get that more optimized? Yeah. So there are a lot of little ha time hacking techniques that I personally use and that I share with my clients. Um, you know, a big one is, you know, um, batching thing. You've heard this together, batching things together. Yeah. A lot of people don't do it correctly. So an example of batching is, I do all my calls on certain times on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays only in the afternoons. And, you know, you notice that you and I are doing this recording in the afternoon. Like mm -hmm. I I'm very systematic about that. If I let one meeting get onto my calendar in the mornings, it disrupts my whole focus blocks that I've set for myself. So it's like, so batching the meetings together back to back. Now my afternoons are intense. I got one call after another, after another. As soon as I hang up with you, I got another call set up after a pee break, you know, <laughs> but it's like, it's intense, but yet it's the only way I can get everything done and be effective at what I'm doing. There's a difference between being busy versus effective. So batching is really key. Like I might save up a bunch of the same type of task and do 10 of them together instead of doing each of those 10 in an isolated way. Like once you get into something, there's a huge efficiency in doing 10 of them together, but most people don't do that. Another one is using a timer. Like I use this timer on my phone constantly. Like this is like my best friend in terms of productivity when I use it as a timer, not when I'm like surfing Facebook or something, but when I'm using it as a timer. So like how that might work is like, let's say you're about to do a task and you know, it really should take you, you know, 30 minutes to do it. I'll set a 15 minute timer. And like, like I know the clock is ticking. So I like to challenge myself and be like, you know what, it's probably going to take 30 minutes, but what if I could get it done in 15? What would that look like? And it'd be good, you know? So then I know when the buzzer goes off, I'm probably going to hit repeat on it. And then when I hit repeat, I better darn well be done, you know? But at that moment, um, there's something magical about knowing there's a 15 minute timer clicking that half the time I actually end up getting the task done in 15 versus 30. Hmm. And then the other half the time I just hit repeat and I'm like, all right, Denise, you got to get off your butt and get this done now. You only got 15 minutes left. You're not, you don't need the dilly dally on this. Does that you're, make you're, sense? There's yeah, you're psychology. creating a deadline. You're creating the urgency there. Mm -hmm. So I do that constantly and it really helps me focus. Instead of like getting, we don't realize how much we might pop over to read our text messages or pop over to Facebook or start serving the internet 
when the timer is going, you're like forcing yourself to be focused on that task and meeting that deadline. It's mm -hmm. magical. Mm -hmm. It sounds simple and uh, people may have done it a little bit, but there's magic in doing it like on a regular basis. So what about those things that are not, you, you, it's not going to take you half an hour. It's going to take, I mean, there, there are multiple times you're going to have to be working on this. What are some good ways of tackling that and making it uh, as effective as possible? Yeah. So this relates to that. And another part of what I was just saying, what I'll say next is that the key that I do in figuring out what to do next, whether it's a project like that, that's big that needs broken down into smaller chunks or just mm -hmm. attacking my day. Like if there's 15 things I've written on my to-do list for the day, the biggest hack that the time hack that I've found is to start with looking over the list of 10 or 15 items, whatever they are and saying, what are the two or three things on this list that if I got them done, they're the least amount of effort and they're going to give the biggest result. It's Parkinson's law, the 80-20 rule, right? Like 80% of the efforts, 80% of what we spend our time on really only gets us 20% of the results, but 20% of what we spend our time on gets 80% of the results. Well, why not start looking for that, looking for the leverage? Like what on this list is going to be only a mere 20, whatever. It might not be exact. It might be 10% or 30% of your effort, but what takes the least amount of effort on this list that's going to give me the biggest result? Why not start with that? Do that first. If you do that first thing in the morning, by noon, you've already knocked out the most important stuff for the day. Imagine the momentum you can get in your life if you do that on mm -hmm. the big projects and also just overall. Mm -hmm. so that's, that was the biggest thing that when I had my reduced, when I enacted my reduced works, work week, I had to start doing that as a matter of habit every single day. Or, or balls would be dropped. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So everything mm -hmm. had to still be covered. I mean, it wasn't right. like saying, okay, I'm just going to take two days off a week and whatever gets done gets done. You were still going, these things have to happen, which, which also is a prioritization. I mean, you... Right. Now, some yeah. of it I killed off. Like some of it I realized wasn't even important and it just needed to get killed off because it didn't mm -hmm. matter. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't in that top, you know, I had to figure out what was the most important and what could be sent to the black hole. Yeah. You know? And if it's something that um, could be, but if it really needed to get done, I had to figure out how to get it done, whether it's yeah. delegating it or whether it was getting it done faster or, or automating it or whatever the case was. Yeah. So the, the balls still get juggled. Mm -hmm. They're just not necessarily all going to be juggled by you that might have been juggled, you know, previously. I mean, you're, you're mm -hmm. finding some other ways of, of taking care of that. Um, as a part of what you just talked about, you mentioned having um, that whole process of kind of uh, focusing. And I think that may be a piece of it. And part of this kind of uh, reminds me of the Eisenhower decision matrix that everybody knows from Stephen Covey stuff, you know, what's important you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's urgent, all, but not important. You yeah. Know, yeah. Like and you're sitting there going and, mm -hmm. and the urgent, but not important tends to be the ones um, that get our attention versus the important, but not urgent that really mm -hmm. move things. The urgent and important. I mean, you're that's the house is burning down. What do you get out mm -hmm. and let's get that done. Right. But then there are the others that um, are the ones that, you know, a, you have to do and B are important to get done, but C may not be really burning right now. Right. So, how, is that the, you talked about a focus uh, time or how you, you spend some focus. So fo I think you said focus session to kind of get there. What's that about? Yeah. So like in that example that you just gave, um, you know, I'm the way I might handle that scenario is, you know, the, the one that would be what you were calling the important, but not urgent, you know, the important, but not urgent might be one of the ones that I identify as one of the biggest levers for the day. It's like, right. it's not urgent, but, but it's important. And if I get this done, it really moves the company along. Mm -hmm. So those I would do before noon. 
Like I'll do those first. Those would be my first three things that I would do in the morning. And then in the afternoon before my calls start, then like I would tackle the, um, the urgent, but not important or make Mm -hmm. sure it got delegated or whatever. But it's like, I had to learn to turn off the pressure to do the urgent, but not important first. And instead do the important, but not urgent first. It's a mindset shift. Yeah. And, and, you know, I used to say, well, the not urgent, not important, it it falls by the side anyway. And then Mm -hmm. I noticed that so many of us mindlessly go through Facebook or Twitter or whatever, which is neither urgent nor important. And yet that we suddenly have created a culture where that is easier to have done rather than some of the other things. So that prioritizing allows us to think, what are the big movers? Um, the, The ones that are urgent and important. You, you, you're not going to, you're going to have a hard time getting away from, I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's right in front of you, but um, those, those urgent or, or not urgent, but important. Those are the ones that mm-hmm. seem to me to often be those lovers. Right. And, and just learning to be looking for that. And it's, it's magical. I call it forced hyper efficiency, but my schedule forces me to be hyper efficient. Like when you're about to go on vacation, you know, you and I were talking at the event about, you know, how, um, and I talked about it in my presentation about how, when you go on vacation, you get like a month's worth of work done the two mm-hmm. days before you leave. Cause you know, you're not going to be available. Well, that's what I call forced hyper efficiency. It's like what we've been talking about limiting the amount of time. So now if I'm only giving myself three days a week on average in the trenches of the company, I got to be like, okay, if I only have Monday, Wednesday and Friday to work on this, how am I going to make sure I get this done? Well, it forces me to look for those levers. So that's why I start my day with the, what are my important, even important and urgent or important and not urgent activities that are my biggest levers that if I get them done, you know, between now and noon, even if I leave for the day, I'm good. Like what was, what really mattered got done, mm-hmm. no matter what else happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my, when I've written my books, um, I, when I am writing, I generally get up an hour earlier than normal and I write for one hour. And the rest of the day, I walk around going, if nothing else goes right, <laughs> you know, I had that hour that's uninterrupted, moving something forward that's important. I'm also aware, though, that when you talk about that hyper um, effectiveness, that, that another piece of that is you can't do that 12 hours a day, seven days a week. That there's, it also has to be because, I mean, there, there's a, a freedom of time thing that mm-hmm. has to be happening in order for that to happen. Yes. And that's why with, for me, with my two freedom days, it's like, I might work intensely for 10 hours on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then I've got my Tuesdays and Thursdays to be like, Oh, what do I want to do today? You know, now I'm alone with my own thoughts, you know, (laughs) but it's something that I would, I certainly wouldn't want to do it seven days a week. Or I'm glad I didn't know what I know now while I was in terms of being a workaholic and marrying the two, because that would not be good. You you would drain really fast. Mm -hmm. It's what guys like Steve Jobs, I think did. Like he, he did this kind of stuff. And then when he died, he was, he was claimed to be, I don't know if it's true, but he claimed, you know, news reports talk about how unhappy he was and how he didn't have any meaningful relationships. And it's like, he was reported to be a jerk with people he worked with. It's Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to be like that. So uh, that's, that's the part that, um, you know, I think that this really helps you focus on. um, I think you're right. You have to have free time and the forced hyperefficiency in order for it to work because you've got to have that rejuvenation period because it's cool to be under pressure a little bit and then to be able to back off and go, ah, and then that's when the creativity comes in when you're not working. Which brings me back to the kind of the beginning of your story, talking about being a workaholic. What, how did you recover? I mean, you can go cold turkey, right? I mean, same with, the, with any addiction, but what was your process like? We're, uh, obviously, the fire was the impetus. I mean, that was kind of, to use the analogy, rock bottom. Mm-hmm. 
but what was the recovery process for you? Um, so Im- immediately after the fire, I still hadn't figured out how to have plenty of free time and growth. I just was spending better time with my family, but my income seemed to suffer when I wasn't working. I'm mm-hmm. like, there's got to be a way to have both. I believe there's got to be a way to have both. And so then when I started doing that scheduling experiment um, for that 30 days, I was shocked at how my world didn't fall apart like I thought it would. Mm. You know, like that third. So I decided to extend that 30 day experiment to 60 and then 90. And then after the 90 days, I decided to just make it a permanent part of my life. Mm-hmm. And, but it was giving myself permission to do the experiment when I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And then once I started tasting the freedom that came with it, I was like, man, I can't imagine going back to my old ways. So I think it was the combination of the experiment and giving myself permission to step, to dip my toes into what I'd always wanted in a a safe way that my world wouldn't fall apart. Everybody can do that, whether they work for someone else or they're an entrepreneur. There's something you can do right now to dip your toe in the water with what you've always wanted without your world falling apart. For me, it was the 30-day time experiment. For somebody else, it might be, you know, trying to get a four-day work week, or it might be being able to work from home, or, you know, who knows knows what somebody's dream might be. Hmm. If they look deep enough, there's an experiment there they could have to get them closer to their dream. You know, I, I really like the idea of the experiment. Mm-hmm. I, my mm-hmm. uh, my mentor, uh, Wayne, Wayne Oates was his name. Okay. Um, and he talked about workaholism for himself. And so he said, you know, you can't just stop working. Most of us can't just mm-hmm. stop working. I mean, that's not the recovery process to go from working as a, an addiction to not working at all. Most of us still have <laughs> some some things we have to get done. And he said, so I had to figure out how to reform my thoughts around work. And I, I like that idea of a 30-day experiment. It's kind of like 30-day um, sobriety. You know, what is it like when you've gone through that? At the end of that, you can still go, well, you know what? I'm just going to go back to the old way. Mm-hmm. Or you may say, wow, there's some other things I got from that, like relationships that got renewed and mm-hmm. like taking care of yourself instead of draining yourself all the time um, that have some uh, validity. For, and I'm, I'm interested in this. This isn't just about people at work either. I mean, Let's say that uh, somebody is, I don't like the term stay at home, but a stay, stay at home parent. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. so they're, that's their world of work. What might they do to make some shifts there? Because that can be a busy place too. Yeah. So there are a couple things they can do there. You know, one is with the entrepreneurial clients who I worked with, um, a lot of them had stay at home spouses um, that were caring for the kids. And I actually had them watch the kids on a freedom day on one of their freedom days, so the wife could have a freedom day. Mm-hmm. So, and they, the, the wife was thanking me for them being in the program because <laughs> they're like, finally, somebody understands I need me time too. Okay. Not that it always is, is the male or the female. There's a lot of stay at home fathers, and you know, parenting is a joint thing. But so, you know, that's what I've done with some of the entrepreneurial clients who, you know, always it was all about them, and they actually loved being with their kids. As it was joyful for them because they weren't the ones normally watching their kids. But that was great for the spouse too because they both got a freedom day. They got a freedom day to be with the, the entrepreneur, got the chance to be with their kids, which was joyful for them. And the, the, um, the, the normal parent that's with, with the child all the time got to have some free time away from the child, which was also joyful to them. So mm-hmm. it worked out really well. But in terms of the person who, you know, in, like my mom, you know, it was a stay-at-home mom for, with, with five kids and then also helped my dad run their scrap company. You know, like for her, I don't ever remember her having any free time. My dad always like had her doing everything. And so, you know, for, for someone like her, I would, I, would, I would tell her to stand up for herself and just carve it out. Like to say, you know what, you're taking care of the kids today and I'm having myself a me day. 
like to just like, you have that right to plant. And now maybe it's, maybe they don't have a a significant other. Maybe they're not married. They might be a single parent. If it's a single parent, then maybe it's getting a um, a parent or a, a brother or sister to watch the kids once a month or a friend or paying a babysitter, but you deserve that time for yourself too. It's finding somewhere that you can pull some time for yourself. Exactly. Which is interesting because I think one of the things that I, I see holding people back is it, it ends up being an identity question. Uh, and one of the places, so now we, we switch over to kind of a thriving mindset. Uh, one of the places I see people really get stuck um, not thriving is that they, are, they find themselves completely tied to a certain identity. And that identity is the trap. Mm-hmm. So, um, for instance, an attorney who's like, you know, I've always got to be busy being an attorney in order to have an identity. That's a common one for professionals, particularly. I mean, there's a lot of training that goes into that. And mm-hmm. um, same for a parent, though. I mean, to see their identity as I've got to do everything to take care of that child or whatever ends up being a lock on developing further in life. So part of what you're pushing for is an opportunity for people not you know, say me time that also is self-development time. Mm-hmm. Whenever you're taking care of yourself, there is some growth that's going on that allows you to test out some different identity. How has that been for you? Just you know, changing identity. You know, at first it was challenging because I felt guilty, you know, like this, I was talking about the business culture, you know, of, you know, these leaders that, you know, have done some great things in the world. And like I was talking about Steve Jobs earlier, mm-hmm. and then you've got like Elon Musk who tweeted in November, 2017, no one ever changed the world on 70 hours a week. And I respect those guys for their accomplishments, but it keeps propagating this idea that we're less than if we're not working all the time. And I'm here to take a stand and say, There is nothing to feel guilty about if you can be just as productive in three days a week as you used to in six or whatever that time frame might be. And as the guilt sets in, I had to learn to turn down the volume on the guilt. Like I'd be like feeling when I would take time for myself, Denise, you should be working. Then I'd be like, what? Denise, you should be working. No, I I don't have to be working right now. I already got everything done that mattered. I did that yesterday. I'm good until tomorrow. I had to just train myself, rewire my brain. Every time that head, that voice would come up, I had to turn it down. And finally, over time, I got to the point where I just don't hear it much anymore. It'll still creep in every once in a while, but then I can just turn it off. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're talking back to it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You have to talk back to it. Sometimes I even talk to it out loud. And I say, no, Denise, you know, like, it's like, it's like, um, uh, at at the um, icon maker event that I went to, Steve Ulsher walked us through this exercise of, learning to name that, that person. It's like, you know, the, the, and then, you know, it's like, there's the unstoppable Denise. And then there's the, uh, what did I call the other Denise? It's like, there was the little Denise. You know, I can't remember what the mm-hmm. other word I came up with it was, but it's like saying no to that little Denise and saying Un- unstoppable Denise is here right now. Unstoppable Denise has free time and joy in my life every single day. And I'm not going to go back to my old way. So you just be quiet. So it's like learning to step into that. And freeing yourself, like I talked about earlier, from the judgments of others. And knowing that most of their judgments aren't even real. Like we project a lot of what we think they believe onto us when they don't care as right. much as they think that we Haven't care. even noticed it. Yeah. They wouldn't even care if we offer them Wednesday versus Tuesday. They don't care what we're doing on Tuesday, nor is it any of their business. Mm-hmm. So just taking ownership of it and stepping into it and saying, I matter. I'm my own best client. I'm going to give myself that time. And I'll figure out how to get the rest of it done. And giving yourself the challenge to say, what if? I learned to put myself at the center. And what if I figure out how to get everything else done just as well as I did before, if not better? Mm. Would that be okay? 
Yeah. You're, you're talking about the fact that identity, um, there are multiple identities each of us have mm-hmm. and that we can choose which one we're going to accent, which mm-hmm. one we're going to allow us to feel a certain way and how much voice we're going to give it mm-hmm. that allows us to make some bigger choices that uh, others might not make along the way. I mean, the fact that we have even a five day work week, a normal five day work week is mm-hmm. fairly arbitrary. I mean, there's nothing... Mm-hmm. And nothing in our ancestry or anywhere else that demands that's no law. There, you know, it's just right. something that I mean, we I think, all... I think it stemmed from the auto industry or something. There was like some history and research I had found on that. Like we used to have this seven day work week and yeah. the industrial revolution and like, why do we need it anymore? Okay, well, let's do five. It's like, you know, Microsoft just did this study. I think it was Japan where they did a four day work week and the workers were more productive and happier. It's like, mm-hmm. why aren't we testing these things out? Like we have the technology today to test out all kinds of things. Every, every month, I believe people should have a new experiment they're doing in their business and their personal life. Mm -hmm. And just like you said, evaluate the data and decide what did I learn? What did I like? What do I want to keep doing? What do I want to add to? What do I want to do or not do? Yeah, that, that experimental mindset led you to what you do. So talk a little bit about what you did. What's, what are you working on? Yeah. So, um, you know, I always have my law firm. I'll always be a lawyer. I work for some high profile clients um, where I'm their general counsel or their internet and IP counsel. And I, I just, I love doing that, but I'm also an entrepreneur who loves doing other things. So spend some of my time in my real estate company where I help my husband, where we own and manage uh, rental properties in Indiana. And then the vacation effect is my, my um, passion um, it's what I'm working on because I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs all over the world cl- claim both freedom and business growth. And so that's what I'm most excited about right now. So the vacation effect, um, what, what does that look yeah, like? What is so, that about? So the vacation effect brand was born from what I was talking about earlier from the experiment and what it was I had done to transform my own life. And I started having other people ask me, what it was I had done to go from the workaholic to running my companies in three days a week and being happier and still having my income grow. In fact, the year I did the experiment where I worked the least in my life, I made the most money I'd ever made in my life Hmm. in the year I worked the least. So like, how'd you do that? What were you doing, Denise? So the vacation effect was born. I I picked it as a brand because Lee, you know how I was talking about that vacation analogy about how you get so much done right before vacation. So the vacation effect, meaning you're so productive like you are when you're about to go on vacation And then also, I believe that life should have so much joy in it every single week that your life feels like a perpetual vacation. So that's Mm. the, it's a double meaning of the vacation effect. So um, it's a coaching and training company where I basically help busy entrepreneurs learn how to have both freedom and business growth without having to sacrifice one or, or without having to pick one or the other, like I always thought. Yeah. So a lot of what we talked about is true for anyone and wherever, whether they're an employee or uh, whether they're even no boss, but staying at home. But also for entrepreneurs, particularly important, I think mainly because the world of an entrepreneur is so um, nebulous. I mean, Mm -hmm. for myself, I could work 24 hours a day and still have more to do. At the same time, I could stop whenever I want to and make a shift and nobody's going to say anything to me. So that's a particularly vulnerable place, I think, for people to be. How could people learn more about that? People, let's say just specifically, that's mostly for entrepreneurs. How can an entrepreneur learn more about that uh, and see what the next step might be? Yeah, so the best place to learn more um, for entrepreneurs that want to know more about the things I've been talking about, it would be vacationeffect.com. That's vacationeffect with an E, E E-F-F-E-C-T.com. And I've got links on that site um, that talks about my podcast and book, new book, and the other things that are going on too. Plus I have um, a free report there that goes into more detail on everything we've been talking about. So what we've been very clear about is this vacation effect doesn't mean how do you plan a trip to Paris, but how do you find vacation spots throughout your week to 
do whatever, even if that is Paris, but you know, whatever else might be uh, calling you. So vacationeffect.com is the place for uh, you to connect up with Denise. Denise, thank you so much for all you've shared. This will be helpful for people to change wherever they are in life to get to be at least more effective, if not to carve out some extra time in their life. Thank you so much for having me, Lee. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.